0: I want each of you to think back. Do you remember the first time that you had Holy Communion? For some of you, it might have been relatively recently. For others of you, it might have been a long time ago. For some of you, it might have been when you were young and there was a lot of pomp and circumstance and a big party involved. For others of you, it it might have been very memorable some of you, you might have simply forgotten it. I don't exactly remember the very first time I had Holy Communion, but I do remember what Holy Communion was like growing up and the first few times I had Holy Communion at my home church, Conyers First United Methodist Church, where I grew up as a kid. And I remember Holy Communion because I remember on those Sundays, things were different in the sanctuary when I came in. There was stuff set up up front. And I remember that the pastor would invite us to come and kneel, and we didn't kneel very often, but on those Sundays we kneeled, and then they would give us this little bitty piece of bread and that little shot glass of juice, if you know what I'm talking about. And I remember as a kid always wanting more of that juice, because I recognized the juice, it was Welch's grape juice. I wanted more of it, and I wanted more bread, but I knew that something was different about this Sunday and that I should not ask him for more juice and more bread. And I remember whenever I came into that space on those communion Sundays that things were different. They were holy in a sense. They were were kind of reverent and set apart from what things typically were. All of it was very different than normal church and it was very different from my everyday life. And then as I grew up, I remember Holy Communion kind of became more normal and I, I came to know what to expect. And I knew that in my church, Holy Communion was every first Sunday of the month. And if it wasn't, people would be up in arms. And then I remember, you know, I would come up front and I would kneel. And I also knew that my family, because we sat over here in this section in my church, always knew that we'd be the first people in line. But I also knew that you couldn't leave early. You couldn't leave right after you got Holy Communion, or people would talk about you in the church, right? Because like your schedule is more important than everybody else's schedule. You had to leave early. I knew that too. And I knew that on communion Sundays that the pastor was supposed to shorten his message because if he preached a normal message and we did communion, then we would get out of church late and everybody else in the community would beat us to lunch and we'd have to wait longer at Mrs. Winter's Chicken and Biscuits, right? I mean, that's kind of what I knew growing up is I learned over time. And over time as I grew up, communion came really more normal, more expected, more routine. And at times, maybe I'll just admit, it kind of seemed a little boring. And I think for a lot of us, that's how Holy Communion is in our lives. It it starts off as something that's very different and maybe foreign and holy. Holy is a word that simply means sacred, set apart, relating to God. That's how it is in the beginning for a lot of us. There's a sense of wonder and reverence. And then we kind of come to it and we kind of know what to expect. And we can get into a routine and we can say, okay, I know I come forward, I do this, and then I sit down. And we can just kind of go through the motions. That's how the journey of communion was in my life. I know that's probably how it was in many of your lives. But there's one thing I've learned in life, and that's this, that whenever I feel like I have the things of God figured out, and whenever they start to become routine, I always know that God invites me to go deeper. God invites me to take another look, to open up His Word again, to look at the life of His Son, Jesus Christ again, to reflect on the Holy Spirit To look at the practices of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is calling us this morning to go deeper. And to take a closer look at Holy Communion together. To look at that final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. A meal that Christians have been sharing ever since. And so if we're going to take a deeper look at this final meal, I think that the most natural place to start is at the story and the setting behind that first time of Holy Communion that Jesus shared with His disciples on the night before which He was crucified. And all the different Gospels give us different accounts of this story, but this morning we're going to look at Luke's account in Luke chapter 22 of the setup of what was going on that night. And Luke in chapter 22 says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying to them, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Well, where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. And he replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. And they left. And found things just as Jesus had told them. And so it was there that they prepared the Passover dinner. And now, even from the very beginning, when we we get, before they're even in the room and share the meal together, we see that this is anything but a normal and a normal routine dinner, right? This is kind of a weird setup that, that Jesus asked the disciples to go do. He says, Go find a man carrying a jar of water, which is weird in their culture. Men didn't carry water. Only women did. So there's a man carrying a jar of water. Go find him. Go follow him into the place he goes. And the place he goes, ask the owner to go to the room where the preparations can be made. I mean, I would have been like, Jesus, can I just go straight to the owner and not follow this man around and do this kind of weird stuff? But the disciples have been with him a while. They follow him. They're obedient. And they find everything is just as Jesus said it would be. There's an upper room. And the preparations have been made. It's furnished. And today, you can actually go to the upper room still. Emily and I, when we were in Israel, we went. I think we have a picture of it here. These are not the 12 disciples. These are pilgrims walking around with iPhones, taking pictures and gawking at everything, listening to the tour guide through headsets. But here is the upper room. And it was here that they would have shared in that meal together. And now, the table wouldn't have looked much like this or like our kitchen tables at home. It actually would have looked more like this. They wouldn't have been sitting in chairs. They would have been reclining on the floor, as was custom during that time, sharing the meal together. And the meal they would be sharing together, Luke tells us, is the Passover meal. And this is a detail that sometimes we can kind of rush by and not think is that significant, but it's very significant for this story, and it's also very significant still for the Jewish people. Because if you're not familiar, the Passover meal is a meal that they eat and they celebrate every single year commemorating God's great deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. This is what we find in the book of Exodus. We find this story of God's people, the Israelites, enslaved in Egypt and God calling a man, Moses, to help free them. But Pharaoh, if you remember, won't let them go. And so there's a series of plagues and there's a final plague in which God says, I'm going to come through and I will kill every firstborn child and animal of the Egyptian household. And then they will let you go. And Pharaoh up to that point hadn't let them go. But God tells Moses, Moses, I want you to put blood of a lamb. Sacrifice a lamb, take its blood, put it over the doorposts of my people and then... They will be passed over. They will not experience any death. They will experience freedom. And so the plague came through. The Israelite people, they were saved. Pharaoh finally says, let them go, and they go on to freedom. And in the midst of that, God says, I want you to remember this event and remember it by sharing in a Passover meal every single year so that you won't forget my faithfulness and my deliverance. And so that's the meal that they were celebrating that evening the Passover meal, which was significant to them. But as they were sharing that meal, it quickly came about that it wasn't a normal Passover meal. It wasn't a routine Passover meal. It wasn't as they expected, because as Luke continues in his story, in chapter 22, we find this. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles, they reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took, We'll see, let's keep going. And in the same way, after the supper was over, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So you see during this normal routine meal, Jesus kind of mixed it up. He did something different that they weren't expecting. He, he took some of the bread that was part of the meal and he said, this is my body given for you. And then he took one of the Passover cups, which is filled with wine, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what Jesus was doing for them there is he was reinterpreting this ancient meal that they had shared together every single year, that the Jewish people, they were used to taking part in. He was reinterpreting it and he was saying, look, every year at this meal we remember and we look back. And we remember that God is our deliverer and he delivered our people in the past. But he's saying to them now, now I am the new, I am the true, I am the final Passover lamb. My blood is going to be shed so that you can have freedom. So that you can be delivered from slavery to sin and death forever. He was telling them God's story, which began so long ago, is continuing. God is intervening once again and he's saving his people once again through Jesus Christ, through himself. And the disciples, they didn't understand all of this at that moment. They were just trying to put all the pieces together. But after Jesus died and after he rose again, they remembered his words. And they remembered how he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so they began sharing in this meal together regularly. In the book of Acts, at times we see they shared in this meal daily. And for 2,000 years, Christians have taken part in this ancient Christian practice of sharing in the sacrament of Holy Communion. And and even this morning, millions of Christians around the world are sharing in this meal together just like we are now. And and there's a few different things we look at and we discover when we share in this meal, and they're they're in your worship folder if you want to fill these in. But one of the first things we do when we share in this meal together is we look back we look back and we remember that Jesus is our Deliverer. Just as they looked back at that Passover meal and remembered that God had delivered them from slavery, so now as we share in this meal, we look back and we remember that through Jesus' death, He paid it all. As we sang just a minute ago, He paid it all so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be delivered from sin so that we could be delivered from death and so that we could live with God forever. And when we share in this meal and we share and we say, this is his body given for you and this is his blood shed for you, we're remembering that that deliverance came at a great cost. It cost Jesus his entire life. And so we come and we receive and that should make our hearts grateful to God. And as we come and as we look back, one of the things I want to encourage you to do this morning is as you come is to prepare your heart, to prepare your heart to receive these gifts by confessing to God all the ways you've fallen short, confessing to him the ways you haven't loved him, the ways you haven't loved your spouse, the ways you haven't loved your children and others with everything that he's called you to do. Confess those things specifically to him. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with him. Bring before him all of those shortcomings and ask for his forgiveness because it's at this table we're reminded that as his children, it's our great privilege to receive that forgiveness. We're reminded that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us and will deliver us. And that's an amazing thing And that should bring us a great deal of joy as we come to the table, receiving that forgiveness. And for a lot of us, we're kind of used to that part of Holy Communion. We're used to looking back and remembering Jesus as our deliverer. But for a lot of us, that's kind of where we stop, right? Really, when we take Holy Communion, we just look back. But this morning, I want you to see that communion is a lot more than just looking back. Because Jesus also wants us to look around. Jesus wants us to look around and celebrate that He is alive and He is with us because as we share in communion, we remember Jesus Christ died, yes, but He also rose again from the grave. Amen? We're Easter people. We celebrate that death wasn't the final word, that He rose again and that He conquered the grave and that after He conquered the grave, He ascended into heaven. And now... His presence is everywhere through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew 18, 20, we read this, that where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, He is there with them. And so we remember this morning that He is here with us. He is present with us, and He wants to do something powerful in our midst. And this truth that Jesus is alive and he's meeting us here is why the church calls this a sacrament, right? You might have heard that term put together with Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of different names for it. But we call it a sacrament because it's through these gifts, through these physical signs, that God conveys to us his promised grace. And we do all of this because it proceeds from the command of Christ. So I'm going to break that down for you. In communion, the physical signs are the bread and the cup. Traditionally, it's wine. As Methodists, we share in in grape juice to honor those who, who might struggle with alcoholism. Mr. Welch, side note, was a Methodist. He invented grape juice for the sake of Holy Communion. And now kids everywhere love him for it, right? But we share in these physical signs of bread and grape juice. And as we share in these physical signs... God gives us His promised grace, His undeserved power and presence and love at work in our lives. Not because of anything we've done or deserved, but because He is a good and He is a gracious God. He gives that to us and we do all of this because Christ commanded us to. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And now, if you know anything about church history, you know that that beliefs and thoughts about communion have divided the church for thousands of years. There's been a lot of debate and a lot of controversy, and we're not going to solve it all here this morning, but typically there's kind of two ends of the spectrum. On one end, there are people that say these are symbols and signs of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. And so symbolically, Jesus is present with us today. He's not really here, but we remember that, you know, he, he died for us. That's kind of one end. On the other end is the more Catholic view. And that is that during Holy Communion, the bread and the cup, in their essence, become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he's very much with us. And as Methodists, we we kind of fall in the middle here. We say, no, in their essence, they're not transformed into the body and the blood of Christ, like the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation believes. But we do say... As we pray over these, as we share in these gifts together, Jesus is spiritually present with us. He is alive and he wants to meet us as we share in them. And one of the things we know about Jesus as we read the Gospels and as we look at people's experiences is that whenever Jesus' presence shows up in places and in people's lives, change occurs. Transformation occurs happens. And so when you come to the table this morning, I want you to come with a heart that's expectant, that's ready to meet Jesus and have a new encounter with Him. I want you to come with hope that He can change you from the inside out. I want you to come like the woman in Luke chapter 8. I don't know if you remember this story, but there was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent all her money trying to get healing She had done everything she could, but nothing had worked. But one day, she heard that Jesus was coming through her village. And of course, there were huge crowds surrounding him. But she battled the crowds. She pushed through. She likely crawled on the ground because she she shouldn't have been in those crowds because she was bleeding. She was unclean. So she likely kind of crawled through on the ground, and she finally got to Jesus, and she reached out, And she touched him. And do you know what happened? She was healed. She was healed when she touched him. His power and his presence met her deepest place of need. And he transformed her. He did something she couldn't do for herself. And that's what Jesus wants to do for us this morning. As we taste as we see that the Lord is good and we remember that Jesus is alive and he's with us today, he wants to do something we can't do for ourselves. He wants to transform us. And so for you this morning, maybe that's receiving forgiveness for something that you've been struggling with. Maybe it's receiving power from the Holy Spirit to overcome and to conquer that thing that you've been struggling with. Maybe it's peace in your life in the midst of medical chaos and chaos in your family. Maybe it's just a deeper revelation of God's great love for you. Whatever it is, God wants to meet you in your deepest place of need this morning. He wants to meet you through His Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit at this table because He is alive. And he's with us. And that's one reason why here in this church and in the Methodist church, we we generally invite children to come forward. We invite people who aren't members of our church to come forward. We invite people who have, have very tiny mustard seed faith. And we invite people who have a lot of questions in their faith. We invite people to come because we recognize this is the Lord's table. He's present here. And he wants to meet every single person and to transform their lives. And I don't know if any of you have kids and you've brought them up for their first communion, but I love seeing little children come up for the very first time. Because when they come up, they have big bug eyes. And they don't really know what's about to happen. And this is something very different for them. And a lot of times I'll hear them whisper to their parents or they'll whisper to me, they'll say, is it really the blood of Jesus? And there's a sense of reverence there a sense of awe and wonder. And usually we say, no, no, it's not really the blood of Jesus. But I love those emotions that they come with. I love the wonder that they come with because they know that if this is really the blood of Jesus, then everything's about to change. Something powerful is taking place. And so whenever I see them come forward, I'm kind of awakened from my routineness and from thinking this is something that's just normal and basic and routine in the life of our church. I'm reminded that God wants me, God wants us to have a sense of reverence, a sense of awe, a sense of wonder and expectation when we come to the table, expecting that He's going to meet us and transform us, transform our past, transform our present, and he also wants to transform our future. Just like he did the woman who was bleeding. When she met Jesus, everything changed for her. And he wants everything to change for us as well. And so the final thing I want you to see about Holy Communion when we, when we come forward is we don't just look back, we don't just look around, we also look forward. We look forward and see our future is filled with hope. Because Jesus says that when we share in this meal together, this is a foretaste or an appetizer of the meal that we will share in heaven together with him and with his holy church. In Matthew, he says this, Matthew chapter 8, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 26, he says this, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And in Revelation chapter 19, John, as he's writing about this feast between Christ and his bride, the church, an angel says to him this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so as we share in this meal together, we look forward to that day when we're going to be united with Christ. And we remember now that no matter what we're going through in our personal lives, one day we're going to be with Christ in eternity. We remember that no matter what's going on in our world, no matter whether we feel like it's getting better or we feel like it's just going downhill quickly, we remember that one day Christ will reign in final victory. We remember that no matter what happens to us, here and now, and no matter what will happen to us in the future, that one day we will live with Christ in eternity. We will feast with Him at His heavenly table. But we remember that we won't just feast with Him. We also remember that we're going to feast with His entire church. With all Christians from all time, from all places. And so we look forward to that day when at the meal we share with Peter and Paul, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. We look forward to that day where we'll be reunited and we'll share in this meal with our loved ones who've gone on before us in Christ. The soldiers who have died and who have lost many of them, they will be there. We will celebrate with them. There will be people there who look like us and people there who look nothing like us. Some of us, when we look out at that meal in eternity, we're going to be surprised at people who are at the table. And on the flip side, we might be surprised at who's not there as well. But we're going to share in that eternal meal with Jesus Christ and His church. And as we share this morning, we look forward to that day. And as I think about that day I think about some of the most powerful moments of Holy Communion in my own life. And a lot of them have happened in in Central America where I've done some travels and missionary work. And actually, this uh, Communion Cup here is from Guatemala. And when I look back at some of those times I've shared Holy Communion that were so powerful, they've been with people who are nothing like me. They've been with pastors in Guatemala who who didn't speak Spanish. They spoke Mayan dialects deep in the mountains, and we shared in this meal together. They've been in Nicaragua in churches where people are playing the tambourine, and they're dancing up and down the aisle all night long in worship. I can't play the tambourine, but I love watching them do it. Some of the most powerful moments of Holy Communion for me have been in El Salvador. El Salvador sharing Holy Communion with pastors in simple one-room, concrete block churches that they help build with their own hands late into the evenings. And as I've shared in these meals with people I couldn't always communicate with, people who didn't look like me, people who, quite frankly, we didn't have a ton in common, God has spoken to me. And He has reminded me that we have Jesus Christ in common. And He's reminded me that one day we will share together with all His people, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We will surround His throne, worshiping Him, praising Him, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God Almighty. He's helped me look forward to that day. And as we come this morning, we look forward to that day as well, that day in eternity. And so this morning, as we share in Holy Communion, Oscar's going to come up and play a song for us, and I want this song to really be a song of preparation for you. The kids are going to come in in just a minute, and they'll find you parents, so you can be on the lookout for your kids. But during this song, I want you to prepare your heart to come up and to receive this sacrament. I want you to look back and to confess. Confess your sins before God and come with open hands, ready to receive His forgiveness. I want you to look around at our church and see how God has drawn together people from Henry County, from Spalding County, and beyond. People who are rich, people who are poor, black, white, Hispanic. All different walks of life. God has drawn us together here. And He is alive. And He's with us. And so I want you to come and prepare your heart for expectation expecting to meet Jesus in a powerful and a fresh way this morning and I want to invite you to prepare your heart to look forward and to be filled with hope because I know that a lot of us these days we live with very deep cynicism when we look at the world and everything going on when we watch the news and we read the newspaper but God wants to fill us with hope, with something new He wants us to have a vision of what things will be like one day. And so now I invite you to prepare. Prepare to come and to meet Jesus.